We conclude our Lucan sermon series today, a journey we began months ago with the birth of our Lord and now glorious Easter. Turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, the 24th chapter. It would be hard to imagine anything more horrible than what the followers of Jesus had experienced. They had joined the pilgrims and proclaiming, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna, Hosanna, just days earlier, only to witness their would-be Messiah crucified between two criminals on a cross. Every hope they had that Jesus would release them from Roman oppression was lost. Every dream they had dreamt about living as the free people of God had turned into a nightmare. As the crucified body of their Messiah had been placed in a borrowed tomb. The Sabbath is over. The women who had stood last and longest at the cross are the first ones to hurry to take care of the buried body of our Lord. Look at chapter 24, 1 through 3. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they didn't find the body of their Lord Jesus, one through three, rolled away from the tomb. Jesus had been buried in such haste because of the approaching Sabbath. The women had witnessed that the anointing, the burial preparation of the body of Jesus had been roughshod at worst and incomplete at best. They noticed as they approached the tomb with the anointing spices that the stone they had worried about, the enormous stone has already been rolled away, and they can witness the emptiness of the tomb. Look at verse 4. Perplexed over the loss of their Lord's body. And it happened that while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling apparel. The empty tomb apparently had no significance for these women. To arrive and find his body missing gave them no clue. In fact, when human minds cannot perceive, then divine revelation takes place. Two men, angels in this story, nudge the women dressed in glowing white garments. They offer an explanation. Notice the language in verse 4 could be translated, stood before them. Throughout Luke's gospel, when someone stands before you, it is a divine presence. Think all the way back to Luke chapter 2. The angel Lord suddenly stood before the shepherds. And now, just like the beginning of the gospel, now at the end, it also happens in Luke's Acts of the Apostles. When someone stands before you, you have a divine visitor. In fact, when Peter escapes prison in Acts chapter 12, the angel stands before the same Greek construction. And so now that these men dressed in dazzling garments stand before the women, we know we have angels in our midst. As we saw in Luke's story surrounding Jesus' birth, 
The angel has to explain, to reveal the real meaning behind the human circumstances. Gabriel, the angel, well, he showed up at the beginning of the book of Luke to explain all that God was about to do. And now these men in dazzling white explain all that God has already done. Look at verse 5. Terrified and bowed to the ground. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? As is often the case in Scripture, when that which is human comes in contact with that which is divine, the human is terrified. It reminds us of Isaiah. It reminds us of the beginning of Luke when they are terrified. Zacharias is terrified. They are terrified and they fall to the ground in the midst of the divine visitors. And the angels pose the most important question in all of the history of humanity. Why? Why do you seek the living one among the dead? With that news, we get the best word in all the cosmos. You saw him crucified. You knew he was dead. The spear thrust in his side. You witnessed it all, ladies. You saw his dead body placed in the tomb. But why do you seek the living one among the dead? The best words in all the world. He's not dead. He is living. They still serve a living Lord and not a dead revolutionary. Look at verses 6 and 7, raised from the dead. He is not here, but he is risen. Remember. Look at that word. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day, rise again. The angels make clear there is no need for perplexity. The Lord himself had already prophesied. Yes, the Lord, how many times it happens in Luke 9, it happens in Luke 18. In fact, it happens in Luke 9 two times. Jesus had told his followers over and over again, I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. And I will rise again on the third day. But none of that had registered with the apostles, the disciples, the women who followed Jesus, no one remembered. And thus the angels give almost a second rebuke. The first rebuke is, why would you be here seeking the living amongst the dead? Now the second rebuke, remember. Remember what Jesus had already said to you. God is in control. It is all happening in accordance with God's divine plan. You have been told, you have been warned that he would die and he would rise again. Remember. In fact, if the ladies had been listening to their Lord and had understood, now in their defense, it's not every day that someone rises from the dead. That's hard to comprehend. But you see the message here. 
that had they remembered, they would not only be expecting, they would have been rejoicing. They would have gone to that tomb expecting the tomb to already, the stone to be rolled away, the tomb already to be empty, and they would have been rejoicing. He told us so, he told us so, but they did not. But now they can rejoice about the once pending, once prophesied, and now present resurrection of Jesus. Look at verse 8, remembered his word. That's a beautiful, beautiful text. And they remembered his word. And they remembered his words. I titled this sermon, Nudged by Angels. Yeah, they remember once they've been nudged by the angels. Hey, remember? He told you about this. Don't be surprised by his death. Don't be surprised by his resurrection. And in the act of remembering, they also believe. In the act of remembering, they also believe. Look at verse 9 and 10. Announced all these things. And they returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now there were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. Remembering the words of Jesus, these once doubting women now rise up and they go and tell the disciples, the followers of Jesus, that they have been eyewitnesses of it all. They had seen the crucifixion even while the men disciples were at a great distance. They had witnessed the placement of the body, the burial. And now they had witnessed the message of the empty tomb. Unless you think Luke's making it up, he gives you their names. Go ask them as Mary. You know the lady from Magdala. It's Joanna. It's Mary. This Mary is James's mother and all the rest. And I like what he says here. And the women kept telling. In verse 10, it's translated in my text, they were telling. It's, a, it's an imperfect tense in the Greek text. They kept on telling. The disciples aren't buying it either. In that amazing thing, the first doubters of the resurrection of Jesus are the disciples, the 11. And so the ladies keep on telling. He is alive. We spoke to the angels. We announced these things. Verse 11, appeared as nonsense, appeared as nonsense. And these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. The disciples refused to remember. They refused to believe. In fact, they described the talk of the women as the delirious talk that the sick have when they're out of their minds. The dead don't come alive again. Jesus' own disciples, the first skeptics of the resurrection, verse 12, peered in to see for himself. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling to that which had happened. Now, in, when Luke writes, when someone marvels, it's a positive response. 
When you marvel about something, then you have interpreted and the best divine light. It happens throughout the gospel and the writings of Luke. They marveled. Peter marvels at that which has happened, which means in the midst of the mounting evidence of the testimony of the women and the emptiness of the tomb, that Peter believes that the Lord that he had denied three times at the crowing of the cock is indeed alive. Verses 13 through 32. I love this story, and it's only in Luke. He explained to them. There are two disciples making their way home to a village called Emmaus. They had been in Jerusalem. They had seen the crucifixion. They had been followers of our Lord, and they were discouraged. Look at verse 13. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They had seen their Lord crucified. They were despondent. They were defeated and dismayed. Verse 14, and they were conversing with each other about all the things which had taken place. The arrest, the trial, the crucifixion, their chit-chatting on the way home. You know, when something hurts, you just won't talk about it. They're just chatting with each other, talking about it. Verse 15, and it came about that while they were conversing and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. What would you give to have been one of those disciples on the way home to Emmaus? You've seen the Lord crucified. You've experienced it all. You're headed home. You're talking about it with each other. And all of a sudden, you don't recognize him, but Jesus joins your journey and travels with you. He began traveling with them. But their eyes, verse 16, were prevented from recognizing him. The Lord closed their eyes so they could fully experience the discovery of the living Lord. And verse 17, he said to them, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still, looking sad. And one of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened these days? Here comes this traveler. You don't know him out of the blue. He joins you. And Jesus says, man, y'all look kind of sad. What were y'all talking about? The problem is Jesus already knows what we're always thinking about and talking about. That happened throughout Luke. He knows. He's setting them up for conversation. Now, now what y'all look awfully sad? What were you talking about? And they look at him. Are you out of your mind? Are you the only guy that's been in and around Jerusalem who doesn't understand what's taking place? Have you lost your marbles? Where have you been? The equivalent would be, those of you who remember 9-11, somebody coming in the evening and having never heard what took place. Don't you know? 
Are you the only one who hasn't heard? And he said to them, he keeps playing them, verse 19. No, I don't know. What, what things? What things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word, and the sight of God, and the sight of all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to sentence of death and crucified him. Don't miss the sadness of verse 21. I want you to read it like you've never read it before. But we were hoping that it was he who would redeem Israel. We had believed in him. We had followed him. We had watched his miracles. Isn't that sad in tone? He was a failure. But we were kind of hoping that he was the one for whom we had been waiting. Besides, it's three days after now. Besides, it's the third day. It's, it's over. But there's some women amongst the tomb who amazed us, verse 22. They went to the tomb early in the morning, and they didn't find his body. They came saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some who were there with us went to the tomb, and they found it just as the women had said, but they did not find him. Again, you hear it in that language, we were hoping. We were hoping he was the real Messiah, the Son of God. And he said to them, verse 25, O foolish generation, slow of heart to believe what the prophets have spoken. It was necessary. Now notice the change in language. Every time before, it is necessary that the Son of Man must suffer. He doesn't say Son of Man. Now he claims to be the Christ. It was necessary that the Christ should suffer. And these things enter into his glory. He must suffer these things and then enter into his glory. And wouldn't you have loved this Bible lesson? Starting with Moses and going through the prophets, he, he showed them all the prophecies about himself. Man, I wish we could have recorded that and been there for that one. Just starts them with Moses and the Torah and walks them through and Jeremiah and Isaiah and shows them how everything they had ever heard had led them to this moment on this journey, on this road out of Jerusalem for them to intersect with their living Christ. Verse 28, they approached the village. And as they were going, Jesus acted like he needed to go a little bit further. Well, glad to journey with you for a while, but I've got to go on on my way. And they said, it's getting late. Stay with us. It's getting late already. It's a seven-mile journey. Come on, just break bread with us. Spend some time with us. You need a rest. And Jesus agrees. Look at verse 30. And it came about that when he reclined at the table with them, he took bread. You know what he did next? What's the rhythm? And he blessed it. He took bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it. And he gave it to them. Look at verse 31. And their eyes were 
opened. And they recognized him. And he vanished from their side. He took the bread. He's the guest. It's kind of odd. He takes over as the host. Jesus tends to do that, take over a lot. He, he took over as the host, and he starts breaking the bread, and he says a blessing. He, he hands them the bread, and the most powerful words at the end of Luke, their eyes were open. Open to what? Open to the fact that he is the Christ. He is the Son of God. That the Son of Man, the Christ, must suffer these things and then experience the glory of God. Their eyes were open to the good news of the gospel of Christ Jesus. What about you this morning? Do you need an Emmaus experience? Should our Lord travel with you today? Yes, just like that day, three days after the crucifixion. And as the, the word of God, the bread is broken before you today, would your eyes be open? The good news of the gospel is we do not have to be afraid of death. We die with him. And we rise with him. Some of you here this morning, some of you watching by way of television, it's, it's a constant burden on your heart. Some of you, even in, in recent days, I did a funeral yesterday, have experienced that loss and that grief and that uncertainty and that darkness and despair that disappointment that comes from the enemy of death. And the good news is we do not have to be afraid that even as Jesus Christ himself arose from the grave, that he is the first fruits and those who believe in him will follow just like the first apple off the tree means, well, that the whole harvest is to come. Your grandparents who've died before, your dad, your mom, your husband, your wife, your brother, your sister, your child, your grandchild. Have your eyes open today. We do not have to be afraid. Verse 32, they say to each other, well, you know, it was kind of strange. The whole time he was talking, I was burning inside. I bet that's true. He was speaking to us on the road, and he, he preached like no one else we'd ever heard. He was explaining the Scriptures to us. And they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. Now, at this point, you've got to feel sorry for them. How many miles out of Jerusalem? Seven. Now, what do they got to do? Turn back, go seven miles back. This is too big to keep to themselves. I mean, you can't stay home. Jesus is alive. They go back seven miles. They want to find the apostles. They want to tell them it is true. What the women have said, it is true. Believe verse 34. And when they get there, they don't even get a chance to speak after running seven miles because the Lord's already appeared to Peter. And if Peter's seen the Lord, it's game over. We appreciate the disciples from Emmaus bringing us a positive word, but, but Peter was going to talk first. 
And they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen, and he's appeared to Simon. They, they come to report the resurrection of Jesus, and when they arrive, it is reported to them. You know, he could do that in his resurrected body, be lots of places, lots of times. He appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. That's uh, surely an allusion to our observance of the Lord's Supper. Their eyes were opened in the breaking of the bread. Jesus, even while they're talking about his appearance, it ends up, it gets even better. While Peter's giving a report to the disciples from Emmaus, and the disciples from Emmaus are giving a report to Peter, somebody shows up. Look at verse 36. And while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst. If you wouldn't believe Simon Peter, if you didn't believe the women, if you don't believe the disciples on the road to Emmaus, well, Jesus himself peered up and said in verse 38, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Come on and touch it if you need to. Right here. I am he. Crucified and resurrected. Skip down to verse 46. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that the repentance for forgiveness of sins should be claimed in his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. And you are my witnesses. How do we respond to Easter? I read the original story, and I know how they responded at first. They didn't believe and then the evidence overwhelmed them by the emptiness of the tomb. It should have been enough. They should have remembered, but they did not. They should have believed, but they refused. And then the, the speaking, the nudging by the angels. You need to remember. And then they remembered, and then they believed. And then on the road to Emmaus, a, a personal appearance by the, the crucified one himself opening Moses and the prophets. And then Jesus appears to Simon. And then while they're in the room talking about the appearances, another appearance occurs. And he says, I had to suffer that I could be glorified. Go tell the good news and call all men and women to repentance. Of all the stories that have ever been told in the history of humanity, this is truly the only story that matters. There are a lot of other good stories, and I love to tell stories, but if you don't get this one right, you don't get eternity right. It's a call for hope, it's a call that we don't have to be afraid of death. But it's also a call to repentance. To confess our sins. And in confessing our sins that he died for us on the cross. To declare him the crucified, glorified, and living Lord. He opened the eyes of those two disciples that day.
And I feel like he wants to open ours too. Let us pray. Oh God, I know in this room there are many who have stood recently by a graveside. I know that today is their day to say that because Jesus lives, my father lives, my mother lives, my husband, my wife, my grandparent, my child, my grandchild, my dearest friend, that I want to have my eyes open too. And I will not be afraid. For if we die with him, we likewise rise with him. Amen.